CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, listeners. Uh, we've got a special treat for you tonight. Um, I got Tony on a remote line. We're in two separate locations for the first time ever. And uh, we got some technical difficulties last night we were trying to record. So, Tony, you with me tonight? I believe I am, yeah. Okay. At least in spirit. <laughs> At least in spirit. So we're going to try to do this. And uh, when I have a chance, I'm going to try to update Tony's tech. You know he's the tech guru, and I'm just his, his uh, Padawan learner. Yeah. But we're trying. <laughs> so. Well, this will be a good internship for you to, uh, <laughs> internship. to figure this out. And, yes, I... I uh, I have the coronavirus or some some offshoot of it for two weeks, so it's bad enough that I'm talking on my phone, but I also have had the hacking cough for two weeks. So if I sound strange, that's why. Yeah, that's a combination of many things. So we're hoping in post-production this sounds a little bit better. Uh, bear with us, folks. We'll hopefully be back to normal very soon. Uh, I had different topics set up for the evening, but then... Last night happened uh, when we couldn't record. It's probably fortuitous because Iowa happened. And uh, if you're not sure what happened in <laughs> Iowa, I, I have a little something I want to play. So, <laughs> uh, if you're not aware, uh, Iowa did not happen the way the Democrats predicted it might happen because we don't really know what happened yet. Uh, is that right, Tony? You, we're still not sure. I think Pete well, Buttigieg claims victory, but I'm not sure. <laughs> didn't sort of everyone claim victory yeah. or non-defeat? Um, <laughs> non-defeat, that's a good way to put it. Is, it. <laughs> it is, yes, it is hilarious that these are the people that want to place the entire country under command and control of the federal <laughs> government, and yet they can't manage to tabulate uh, what is it? Sixteen hundred precincts in yes. Iowa for yes. their own caucus. Yes. Um, just for not a good look. Yeah, not a good look. No, just for so you people understand, a caucus is not a normal election. It's a group of people who meet at somebody's house or a public building, and they debate who they think should be the the nominee or the the winner of their little group, and then they report it to the party. So it's not a real. It's like who's more persuasive in a in a small group to get their point across, and then also they they say who do you want first, and then if you don't get fifteen percent of whoever's there, then you get to say well who do you want now because those people don't count. It's a really screwed up thing, and it makes Iowa feel special, but it, they're really not that special. This is their only time to shine, and yeah, they screwed it's, it's it up. Very so literally, literally, you're sitting there at one of these town halls, and you have people that are basically lobbying you yeah. on behalf of their favorite <laughs> candidate. And then to your point, if your guy, uh, cause I heard some speculation that what happened is cause, it, and we'll get into this. It was a terrible, no good day for Biden. Yes. But what happens is if let's say if you're a Biden person, but he doesn't do well out of the box, then, then that support then slides on to sort of the next choice. Right. Right. And so, there's these different there's these different iterations of who they're actually supporting. It's very very strange. Um, and again, they look completely ridiculous. That I think today they released at least what there's now sixty percent supporting, like that. and yeah. it looked like it was a good it was a good night at least to the extent you can believe any of these numbers uh, for Mayor Pete and a very very bad day for the presumed front runner joe biden who came in a distant fourth yeah what they said was uh well with 60 percent or so tabulated whether or not those were right we don't know uh buddha judge um uh sanders warren and then uh biden the the professed front runner is not really the front runner uh based on iowa results and uh, amy klobuchar at, i think 12 percent. so again it's not complete the point is they, they were trying to use an app from a company called Shadow Incorporated, which I think is ominous enough to begin with. But Shadow Incorporated. Now, let me read you what their mission statement is. Our mission is to build political oh, power wait. for the progressive movement 
by developing affordable and easy-to-use tools for teams and budgets of any size. Sounds a little you know, well, I hope new it was agent. affordable. Well, the, the CEO, Jared uh, Niemeyer, Niemeyer uh, was a former Hillary Clinton uh, employee during her 2016 failed campaign. Uh, Shadow, he came from a company called uh, Apocalypse, not Apocalypse, so I can't remember the name here. Let me see. Acronym, sorry. The company's name Acronym, which was founded by Barack Obama's campaign digital producer, Tara McGowan. And we're finding out today that Mayor Pete put forty-two grand into this company, as well as Joe Biden put about fifteen hundred dollars into this company for services. Uh, it, it seems like this thing was a, a screw up from the beginning. And I, to your point earlier, if you can't get this right, sixteen hundred precincts or whatever you want caucuses, and you can't get this right, and you can't even tell me because this was supposed to give you more transparency, but you can't even tell me that it did that. I'm a little concerned that you can't even do that, and this is what you're relying on to progressively move things forward in a transparent manner. Because this this CEO earlier, before this last summer, said that the Democratic polling, the Democratic methods were a blank storm. And I'm like, mm, I think they're yeah. worse now. <laughs> well, but this is also fascinating, and I don't know, is um, you know all of the uh, tinfoil hat Russia people within the democratic universe, which is pretty much all of them. So for instance, is, is Bernie, um, Rachel Maddow's, uh, guy, like, I, I don't even know I who's her, who's her preferred candidate. Do you know? I do not know. I, I can look Warren? up, I can look up, but I don't, I don't know. Let me well, see here. It, it doesn't matter. But the, the point is, is that you then layer onto this, the fact that you've got all of this, all of these backroom shady machinations against Bernie once again, because, you know, they were enraged that they gamed the system against him in 2016 for Hillary, which they did. And now, you know, Bloomberg and the rest of the party insiders are definitely afraid, you know, we can't run Muppet Statler Socialist as our top tier candidate. So this also feeds into a lot of questions about, okay, you know, Bernie ha apparently had a really good night, but he's not getting the benefit of that and he can't release the numbers. And in fact, even before the actual caucus, they were refusing to release kind of their like preliminary polling numbers, which also apparently showed Bernie doing very well. So this is going to feed into the, I'm not even sure if it's a conspiracy theory. I think it's an actual conspiracy <laughs> that the fat cats at the DNC, they simply do not want Bernie to win this election. So it's going to be, you know, past the popcorn as this goes forward. Uh, and here's the other real risk for the Democrats is if Bernie doesn't win again. Yeah. He hasn't won yet. He hasn't won yet. Going, well, my point is, if he's Melania said not going to win again, then he's going to lose again. Okay. Right? His constituents are not going to show up and simply, oh, cast their vote now and play nice with whoever the, the candidate is in the primary. They're right. just not going to vote. Well. So this creates, this creates a real problem for them in terms of, you know, no one's going to come together and coalesce at the end of this and say, oh, we're all under one banner. We have to defeat <laughs> the bad orange man. Bernie supporters do not think that way. Most right. of them. They just don't. Well, I, I think they feel they got a raw deal in 2016, but some of them went along saying, well, it's better than Trump. But you're right. They, they, there was that time in 2016 when he was basically getting the shaft. And they felt like, well, maybe we don't support. And he didn't. He didn't come right out until almost towards the end to support Hillary. I remember he was asked. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm going to see what happens. But he eventually came in support of her. But I think his his supporters didn't necessarily feel like she was the best option. But and they didn't really embrace Trump, obviously. So you could be right. There could be some. I, I think didn't I wasn't um, uh, Inspector Clouseau overheard on Sunday saying he might have to get into the race for 2020 to Bernie doesn't get it. Did you, did you see that? There was a, well, he, he vehemently, he vehemently denied that in a uh, sure profane <laughs> Twitter sure. rant that he then, <laughs> then took down. But wouldn't uh, that be fantastic? John Kerry <laughs> to the rescue. Yeah. When John Kerry's your savior, you, I mean, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> yes. So does it get any, does it get any worse than that? I don't think it can. So let's assume these, these numbers stand and Buttigieg wins Iowa, which 
theoretically he should anyway. It's it's a neighboring state, not quite neighboring, but one state over from Indiana. Does that mean he got regional support, which we would expect, and we we expect any of the top candidates to get their own regional support? Does it mean anything going in New Hampshire? Do you think him winning I have, Iowa? I have no, no, I don't think so. Um, the other, the other really scary thing if you're a if you're a Democratic voter is if you look at all of their top candidates. Okay, so the establishment clearly wants to shuffle Bernie off the stage. Sure. Even they recognize he's basically unelectable. He's McGovern, right? He's maybe worse than McGovern <laughs> in a general uh, a general election. So, But the other problem is, if you look at the rest of them, one of the interesting things about some of the polling I was reading is that Biden did really well, as is probably to be expected, with the over 50 demographic, okay, among the Democratic voters. Okay. But he got basically no support whatsoever from the young people. Again, not a surprise. Right. He's a doddering old white man who has no intersectionality. They don't care for him. <laughs> the flip side is true for Buttigieg, which is he, he dominates um, the youth, but really no one is interested in him who's, let's say, the over 50 crowd. And the point is, when you each of these candidates have massive holes in their support. Right. And in a national election, the other thing which no one will talk about with Buttigieg is, can he bring out the African-American vote? Because he polls terribly, right. at least compared to most Democrats, with African-Americans. So if that guy turns out to be your standard bearer in a general election, how's yeah. that going to work? It, it can't work out well. I, I can't imagine. And I I think Buttigieg is, other than Klobuchar, I think he's the weakest of the candidates. He's got, he was a mayor. I mean, that's nice, but, you know, so is Jerry Springer. Well, I, I don't see him I as just, a I slightly candidate. disagree with that. Okay. I think he is the most, I think he's the most talented candidate in terms of his just ability to, stand in front of the camera and look like, oh, what a nice, moderate young man, right? Okay. Which is which is the mask, the mask that they need someone to wear because you've got all these other kooks out there like Bernie and Liz Warren talking about banning oil and, you know, naming a transgendered youth the uh, <laughs> person that dictates who's going to be the education secretary. Yeah. <laughs> right? Nice. So yeah. I just don't, I don't know whether he can make it out of the primary in order to get in that position. I, I, if I was a Democrat right now, I would say, okay, Buttigieg, he's got some, got some personality on TV, but man, his record, what's, what's his record? You know, they, they talked about Sarah Palin. She was only governor of, of the largest state in the union. He's been mayor of what the 52nd largest city. I mean, where do you, where does he come off with any kind of gravitas for, I've done something. You know, you haven't done anything. You've what had, been a mayor. I guess the question is, what had what had Barack Obama done? Well, literally nothing. That that was the other point. He, he was at least a a senator from a, a populous state. Who did Judge came and say that? <laughs> I mean, he's from Indiana. What do you, what's your what's your claim to fame? Now, I think he's more well known now since they've had. I don't know how many thousand debates for the Democrats. So they've seen him on TV enough. So he's a little more famous than he was when it started. But I think you you could attack him on any record because he doesn't have a record. And maybe that's why he's so new and fresh and fresh faced because nobody knows much about him where they know a lot about Warren and Bernie and Biden. You know, they know so much about them and they've got baggage where his baggage is a little lighter than theirs because he just doesn't have the experience. I, I think he's way too young. I think he's way too liberal, and I think he's way—he's not as nice as he seems, as you said many times. He seems nice, oh, no. but he is not no. a nice guy, and his well, and policies you, are failed. If you, if you examine his—if you examine his policy positions, he's just—he's almost as radical as the rest of them. He's just a little bit smarter yeah. about not saying the kooky things that he actually believes, and he also likes to cloak himself in his you know, his Christianity, even though he, let's just say his theology and my theology, yeah. not really the same. Um, <laughs> He's reading from so, a different Bible than me. I really think the bigger, right, but I, I really think that the bigger issue for them to consider is in order for Democrats to win a general election against Trump, they have to have, as they always require, the monolithic 
96, 97% turnout uh, of the African-American voters. And Buttigieg is just not a guy that they're going to turn out for. Well, and, and I think you're right. And I th- do you think the, the African-American vote doesn't turn out at all, or do they turn out for Trump as opposition? Well, no, I don't think they necessarily turn out for Trump. The point is, is that if they even, if they lose, let's say 5% of that, mm-hmm. let's, let's assume two things. They, they lose a, a number of voters, but then also there's an enthusiasm gap. So there's not equivalent turnout. Yeah. If that number even represents, again, like 5% of what they did in the last election, they have no chance. Literally, they, they cannot afford that kind of drop off. And therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Because if you don't have, they're that, that close to where they need to be. And we saw it in 2016. So I, I agree with you. I don't think, I think Buttigieg fades. I, I just don't think he's he's built for the long haul, at least not at this point. Uh, I don't. Does Bernie come through? Does Warren surge in, I think, in New England? Well, I think the Democrat. I mean, uh, well, obviously, as speaking as someone who's a conservative, right? So yeah. take this for what it's worth. But I think the Democratic Party is in is in major trouble right now, and okay. I think they know it. Which is one of the reasons you've got Bloomberg spending hundreds of millions of dollars. They're in a panic because if you saw Trump, and this, and this is the, this is just so hilarious. After yet another, you know, the impeachment farce, and maybe we'll talk a little about we, the culmination of that. We will. He's now at his. Hmm? We will talk he, about that. He's yes. now at his highest. He's at his highest approval rating in the Gallup poll. I think for his entire presidency, he's right at like fifty percent. If if there is not some kind of bombshell, I'm sure they're feverishly working on the next one um, <laughs> between now and the election and the economy stays the way it is. And that stays as his approval rating. He's going to, he's going to win in a much bigger electoral college landslide than he did last time. Well, I, I don't think you're wrong. And I think the fact that Buttigieg may have won Iowa tells you that he is the, he's the least crazy appearing of the top candidates. And I think that's why he was appealing to certain people. Uh, but again, it's not a, that's correct. It's not a real election because it's a caucus. Anywhere has a caucus. Nevada has a caucus. It's not a real election because it's not really counting votes. It's counting who was more persuasive. And that's, that's, it's more like a jury than a, than a vote. So I, I, I dismiss caucuses. I think they're antiquated and outdated, and I don't really understand why they, we still have them other than they're unique and antiquated. So let's move on. Well, to, this may be the, uh, after this, the, after this debacle, this may be the uh, the last time well, that Iowa uh, t- takes pride of place in this process. <laughs> well, Nevada was supposed to use the same app, and they they have declined to use that in their upcoming caucus. So that's probably true. Uh, let's move on to the the uh, impeachment, as you you said. I want to play a clip from Adam Schiff because he, he gave one last <laughs> gasp I yesterday. I know what this is. Yeah, I think you do too. So let me play this would not make it. At least he wouldn't in 1998. But this has become the president's defense. And yet, this defense proved indefensible. If abuse of power is not impeachable, even though it is clear the founders considered the highest of all high crimes and misdemeanors, but if it were not impeachable, then a whole range of utterly unacceptable conduct in a president would now be beyond reach. Trump could offer Alaska to the Russians in exchange for support in the next election or decide to move to Mar-a-Lago permanently and let Jared Kushner run the country, delegating to him the decision whether to go to war. Okay, I can't play any more of that. But this is... Just, that's classic. I just have to laugh. This is the highest of the high crimes that's, and misdemeanors. That's the guy, <laughs> right, that's the guy that the media has been fawning over for the last couple of weeks. He's yes. amazing. Yes. He's 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 Clarence Darrow. He's Atticus Finch. <laughs> no, he's a kook. He's yes. a kook. He's an oily partisan hack. Yes. And one of the interesting things is I had to laugh. Why did I mean, why stop there, Adam? Yeah. I mean make up more if, stuff. If Trump if if he can do anything, why isn't he going to mulch Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff into soil and green <laughs> and feed them to migrants that have turned away at the border? I mean Yes. Is he, is he just going to move the White House to Mar-a-Lago? I mean, think bigger. Jared think bigger Kushner. Come on. He's going to put Jared Kushner in charge. Not Mike Pence, Jared Kushner. Okay, sure. That makes sense. So, yeah. I, well, the one thing, 
the one thing I do want to address is now, now of course, the agreed upon uh, media refrain is right. It's it's not legitimate. It's he has it's not a real acquittal because there haven't been any been any witnesses. Okay, well, let's let's stop there. There were I, I think the number is either seventeen or eighteen witnesses before the house. Yeah. So first of all, it's a flat out lie to say there have been no witnesses. And by the way, the house had the ability, you know, oh, we must have Bolton. We must have John Bolton. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? They could have subpoenaed John Bolton. I'm not sure why they chose not to. Oh, that's right. Because it was a national emergency yeah. to get these passed before Donald Trump could move the White House to Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> um, so all the complaints, they controlled the entire process. Mm-hmm. And in fact, not only did they control it, they perverted the entire process sure. by having secret depositions where the president's counsel could not participate where the president and his lawyers could not call witnesses right so they mm-hmm. they ran this kafkaesque trial in the house mm-hmm. rushed it through we were assured that the world was going to end the republic cannot stand if we don't and then and then nancy pelosi sat on it for a month <laughs> demanding essentially that no no now we want you to call more witnesses yeah um even though and, and this is one thing that jay Sessler pointed out adam Schiff repeatedly says the the crimes Right. The, the heinous crimes have been proven mm-hmm. beyond a doubt. Mm-hmm. And Secular's response was, well, great. Can we, I guess we don't need any more witnesses. I mean, <laughs> what, either, either you think we still need witnesses to establish certain facts, but since they've been proven beyond a doubt, mm-hmm. um, why do we need any more of these people? And why didn't you call all of these crucial witnesses when you controlled the entire process? Right. I'm not, not clear on that. Well, I think that's the the rub. Now, I want to get back to Bolton for a second. We'll we'll move on with that. Why why is Bolton automatically believed that what he writes is factually accurate when he's trying to sell a book and what we're told from the president's counsel is that wasn't true. Now, I know President Trump is a known liar. That that's that's a given or at least an known exaggerator in many cases. And John Bolton is known for being more upstanding, but it's not proof because John Bolton says it. I mean, in a court of law, in which I know this is not, but in a court of law, just because you said it, you don't have any corroborating evidence. I, I wrote it down, so that makes it true. It, it's still no more true just because you said it than if somebody else said it. And I, I just I'm a little I'm a little perplexed why he was the key witness, as you said. Why did they need more witnesses? If they did, one of the witnesses, they had the opportunity to call them. And it did seem farcical to me that that's what was the holdup. We need more witnesses. What? The, but they didn't want to call the Bidens. So who else did you need? Because, I mean, you trotted out that lieutenant colonel who didn't even meet Trump, didn't know him. So, and the ambassador who got fired. What does any of this have to do with high crimes and misdemeanors? According to Adam Schiff, apparently it's Nothing. selling Russia. No, and. And this is one of the things, yeah, that's one of the things that Rubio said, which was, look, I'm basing my conclusion about the lack of any impeachable offense on the best case scenario of what I'm accepting is true, just for purposes of this exercise, everything that the Democrats are claiming, including including if Bolton's going to come in and testify that Trump, Trump was discussing uh, you know, withholding the aid so that he could leverage some of this. Okay. And and Rubio's response was essentially, so what? It's, maybe it's, it's behavior that you wouldn't want. Maybe sure. if you want to call it unethical, if you want to call it unseemly, that's fine. I mean, frankly, I'm of the view, given what we know goes on daily in terms of political horse trading and the fact that there clearly was corruption within the Ukraine, I, I just simply don't even care necessarily about this. But I'm not going to push back if someone says that was the wrong thing for Donald Trump to do. Okay, fine. It was. It's not close to the level that any reasonable person would conclude is an impeachable offense that would subject the president to removal from office. Again, we could go down a litany. We mentioned some of these of the things that happened during the Obama administration that mm-hmm. if this is the new benchmark this five-minute phone call, if that justifies the removal of the sitting president, then pretty much I could come up with a list of <laughs> a dozen impeachable and removal offenses by Barack Obama, our most recent and, of course, scandal-free president, 
uh, <laughs> off the top of my head. So nobody actually believes that that's an impeachable offense. This has all been political theater. And properly, Mitch McConnell basically said, you guys ran your little secret farce. Mm-hmm. You, you handled it in this completely, totally partisan fashion. You've now told us it's an emergency, and then you sat on it for four weeks or however long Nancy Pelosi decided about, yeah. you know, to, to leverage from a position of weakness. And now, guess what? Now we're in charge. Mm-hmm. We've listened to everything you've said. It's nonsense, and it's over. Oh, well. Uh, you're not wrong. And the only thing – I read something today. I think it was uh, John Hindrocker was talking about um, it's not illegal in the Ukraine to put an incompetent on a board. And it's not illegal for aid from a foreign government, the U.S., to be withheld from Ukraine. All those things that happened should have been investigated here in the U.S. And I don't disagree with that, and I'm wondering why that hasn't happened. So it does make Trump look a little more petty and a little more self-serving than on the surface. But I, I would agree with Rubio. You've said all this stuff. And him with, I want to know how the national security of the United States was harmed by us not giving Ukraine money. Nobody's been able to explain to me how that's a national security violation, how we put us at risk by not giving our money to the Ukraine. Can anybody explain that to me? Can you explain that well, to me? No, they haven't They haven't tried. No, of course, no one can explain that. In fact, what's even more hilarious is these people that are now making the Ukraine out to be our closest <laughs> yes. historical geopolitical ally, right? Yes. Three of the House managers, three of the House managers voted against providing the aid package mm-hmm. that was at issue. And then if you go back and look at the Obama administration's policies relating to Ukraine, okay, I mean, how yes. many different ways did they abandon this? Yes. We, it's the whole Russian reset, right? Mm-hmm. So w- wait a minute, let me get this straight. The people that stood by and said, no, you will not get any missile defense. You will not get Javelin missiles to help you against Russian aggression. Um, I need to have more flexibility in my second election and I can work with the Russians, right? right? Uh, the annexation of the Crimea, the invasion of the Ukraine. When did all these things happen? That's right. While these very people were in Congress and running the country, and now the same people are telling us that Donald Trump's delay of aid, which was eventually received, which the Ukrainian president says they didn't even know about, this is now an impeachable effect. And it's, and it's a crucial national security crisis. Yeah. Okay, well, guess what? Nobody believes you because you're all lying. Well, and I think that's bringing up liars. Adam Schiff has been held up as a moral paragon by certain individuals, and I find that laughable because this is a man who's made up, made up phone calls, lied. Whatever he has to say, he lied about the Nunes memo. He lied about the conversation when he was in charge of the committee. It. It just it's laughable that people will go out of their way to the extreme to not like Trump. The Trump derangement syndrome is, is rampant with certain people in this country because they would never say, hey, this this congressman flat out lied about what was said, but it's okay. He's a good guy because he's going after Trump. That that to me there's well, something wrong with our, our country when that happens. It's even worse. But it's even worse than that because they're not even acknowledging. It's like sort of down the memory hole mm-hmm. that Adam Schiff has been lying intentionally for the last three years. Mm-hmm. You, if you would go online and you could Google this, how many times Adam Schiff repeatedly said during the whole Russia farce that he had direct evidence, direct, explicit, specific evidence that Donald Trump had colluded with Russia. He must have said that three dozen times yes. on national television. Never shown and it. And <laughs> we know, well, never shown it. And we know after the two years that Mueller and his pipe hitters spent trying to dig up any they could find, there's nothing. So Adam Schiff spent three years flatly lying to the American people about his secret direct evidence that Donald <laughs> Trump had colluded. He was a Russian agent. Okay. Did mm-hmm. anyone call him on that? No. No. And then in the, in the midst of that, as you pointed out, he also claimed when Devin Nunes published his memo about the abuses that were, that went to the FISA court, all of this corruption and the lying and the, the withholding of evidence, which all was true based on the inspector general's report. Mm-hmm. 
Adam Schiff came out and said everything that Nunes said is a lie. And the steel dossier was carefully vetted and it was reliable. Everything he said about that was also a lie. And again, we don't even have to speculate about that because he had the same information and just decided, I'm going to go out there and spew false propaganda. And then even in the run-up to the impeachment, he was caught, ironically, by the New York Times' reporting, lying about not knowing and never having contact with the whistleblower. Right. And in fact, it turns out, oh, uh, the whistleblower actually went to Schiff's team, contacted mm-hmm. them first. And now what do we see? Even though we're not supposedly allowed to talk about this guy, Eric Fioramella, <laughs> whatever his name is, um, he has close ties, including sitting in meetings with Biden, and, or at least his staff, at the White House when they're having a meeting about the potential investigation into Ukrainian corruption. This same guy, who's supposedly a neutral whistleblower, is neck deep connected to Biden and to Schiff, and no one's supposed to care about this. And he flatly lied about that as well. And apparently, he still held up as some moral paragon. Now, look, I don't have a problem if you want to criticize Donald Trump and say that he's a liar, because Donald Trump (laughs) does lie. But if you're going to be the person that's railing about the guy has to be removed from office because he's a liar, and my hero, the guy that's going to do that for us, is truth teller Adam Schiff, then um, you need some kind of medical intervention. Well, right? it, it does show you how far people have gone. Well, it shows how, people, how far people have gone. It doesn't matter who the attack dog is. They're held up as a better option than Trump. So therefore, their past sins are forgiven as long as they're going after Trump. Now, we saw with uh, Beto O'Rourke, it's okay when you're going after uh, a Republican seat but when you're going after the fellow Democrats, eh, we don't care about you. So it's a short-lived uh, cycle with, with the Democrats. They, they build up whatever helps them in the moment, and then they toss it aside when it's no longer useful. So enjoy that, that limelight shift because it's going to end uh, tomorrow, I believe. Uh, now, that brings me to this point. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. It, well, oh. It's not going to end. No, that's you, the point. You think they're going to do it again? They're, they're so crazed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, and even if they even if they're smart enough to avoid, you know, detonating the suicide vest politically by by trying to run another set of impeachment articles up there in the next two weeks, guaranteed that if Trump wins reelection, this will be the playbook for the next four years as well. That these people are manic. They can't they can't help themselves. And I wanted to make one sort of tactical point here just about the impeachment process itself. Okay, which, again, shows how they have become so overrun with their hatred for Donald Trump that they can't even think clearly from what's in their political best interest. If you are going to go in front of the Senate, the Senate sits essentially as the fact-finding and deciding body to determine whether Donald Trump should be removed from office, right? So they're the people that you have to convince as the House manager. Mm -hmm. Now, in other words, you're not trying to convince CNN. Right. And MSNBC and all think. the other people on Twitter that think Adam. So why in the world would you? And, and by the way, even if you recognize that Donald Trump will never be removed because they need an additional 20 Republican votes. But maybe their smaller term strategy was, hey, if we can at least convince a number of Republicans to, to vote to have this guy removed, then we can say that's a far stronger political case. We now have bipartisan agreement. You know, the principled members of the Republican caucus agree with us. Okay, so that's your goal, just purely political, to get as many people on board as possible. Why in the world would you pick Jerry Nadler and Adam (laughs) Schiff to make that case? You couldn't have selected two more polarizing and detested (laughs) figures. So if you're going after Murkowski, right, Mm -hmm. and Collins, Mm -hmm. and good old... um, Utah man, right? Yeah. Um, good brief on my brain. Mitt Romney, right? Yeah. If, yeah. You're, if those are the, the, the wishy-washy stragglers that you want to convince, you selected the two people who are guaranteed to get their hackles up because they are known partisan hacks. Sure. Okay? Sure. So again, even their strategy in terms of how they presented this to the Senate, it doesn't make any sense. There is no person more detested within sort of the Senate circles among the Republicans and Adam Schiff for his antics over the last three years. And that's the guy that you decided, 
he's going to be the persuasive guy to make our case to people that are already not inclined to be on our side. That's, that's really smart. Well, who do you put up? If you don't put those two, do you put the squad? Do you put Ted Lou? I mean, who do you put up? It's got, it's got a national well, name. Potentially do what the, you don't have to use the house managers. Why don't you go and put up somebody who's a beltway lawyer who's not necessarily directly affiliated with the DNC, right? Mm-hmm. Have a guy that comes in there and just lays out a sober case, kind of the way that Trump's team did. Okay. <laughs> you don't need to have the house managers presenting this themselves. Yeah, I think this was I think this was an opportunity for the house to get more airtime. They thought this was going to be this big show, so we got to get out there. You know politicians love their airtime. So this was the opportunity for all of them. And if you if you noticed when the when the house presented it, all they did was repeat each other. They said it ad nauseum over cuz they had nothing else. But doesn't it get when I've heard it once, now I've heard it twice. <clears throat> Do I need to hear it seven times? Cuz it's the same words. It's almost like you read the same script and we just repeated it seven times, which seems like you're wasting my time. If I'm the senator, I'm going, yeah, I'm bored because you're wasting my time. This doesn't make any sense. I, I, the whole thing's a sham. And the right, fact, and you have Jerry, you know, you have Jerry Nadler, you have Jerry Nadler accusing out of the box. If you don't agree with us, yeah, you're committing treason. Yeah, you're you're basically, um, you know, you're you're shredding the constitution. Oh, that's persuasive. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's gonna an get my excellent vote. preamble to your. That's certainly going to move the needle in our direction on anyone who's potentially. And by the way, there's a lot of Republicans don't like Donald Trump. Sure. So the best strategy is to call them all corrupt and in his pocket, you know, sniffing his robe. That that that's a superb (laughs) part of the advocacy here. It's just amazing to me. Well, I I think I think they had two ways to go, which was try to persuade the the people on the fence, Murkowski or something, Collins, or just call them all out because, okay, you're up for re-election, so therefore we're going to make it really difficult in your state to get re-elected because you're going to vote against us, but we can use that as ammunition later because we, I think they knew they weren't they were going to get 67 votes. And of course, we haven't had the vote yet, but I, I can't imagine it's going to get 67 votes. But if that happens, they can say, well, you didn't vote again. That's our, that was our strategy to tarnish <laughs> Trump as, a, as an impeached president and you know go after these senators so if they can if trump does win they've got another shot if they if they can take over the senate and i think that's but they still need 67 why so would they change. why would they think why would they think that republican voters are going to punish uh senators who decide not to remove donald trump maybe they're energizing the base in those states where they think they can get some democrats to come out that wouldn't normally i, I don't know I mean, voter turnout is pathetic. Even in even in presidential election years, it's it's sadly pathetic. So that's I I don't know if they had a good strategy. <clears throat> Basically, they ran they ran this entire impeachment as if Donald Trump was directing every single thing that they did. They True. they didn't do a single thing the way that anyone would have done it who was at least clear eyed enough to understand. Okay, well, let's see. First of all. It's a bad look that we're running a secret process, not allowing other witnesses. They, they did everything in their power to make it as easy as possible with no political ramifications for Mitch McConnell and his crew to say, this is all a joke. It's a hyper-partisan follow-up to the Russia farce. Everything that they did, you would think, again, that somebody that was running the show, maybe Nancy Pelosi has, is actually under mind control by, you know, whatever, Rupert Murdoch. I don't know. But... They did nothing that someone who was actually interested in convincing both the public and the Senate that they had a legitimate case would have done. Well, and it begs the question, had the House not gone after impeachment but censure instead, do you think they'd have gotten enough votes for that? Would that have been a more – because I, I think there's a fair amount of Republicans, including Rubio and Romney and Lamar Alexander – Trivial fact here: Lamar Alexander was the uh, keynote speaker at my college graduation. Just, just in case you cared. Ah, uh, yeah, it's so special. It was six thousand of us, so it was it was like really intimate. Um, but I, I wonder if that would have been a more uh, painting for the president because I think they could have gotten 
close, if not gotten the votes for a censure, which at the end of the day, I don't know what that means. But they would never, the problem is he's still be in power. They would never have gotten out of the house. They would have never gotten it out of the house because they had to placate their rabid base who were demanding, look, this has been their fever dream since the day that Trump was elected. Right. So are you, are you kidding? You're, you're going to stop at a, a mere censure? No. no. So that, that was the problem is that Pelosi allowed herself to be goaded into these articles of impeachment. And again, the, the irony, although it's really not ironic because you could have actually seen this coming, it was expected. This has boomeranged them, boomeranged on them in the sense that they expected this to damage Donald Trump. It appears to actually have helped him. Well, I think, I think anybody outside their circle of power had to see that as a possibility. I don't think they, I truly don't think the Democrats thought, they thought they would damage him at worst and maybe get him out at best, but I don't think they thought it would harm them. And I think that was miscalculation because they forget that half the country voted for Trump. Now they may not have been completely happy with everything he's done since, but they at least voted for him. And you're basically, you're doing the Hillary. You're a basket of deplorables. I can't believe you voted for this guy. We're going to remove him because we don't like him. So we're going to get rid of him in a partisan. Now, it was partisan in the House, and it's probably going to be partisan in the Senate. But that doesn't make it an unfair trial. If it was, if it's unfair in the Senate, then it was unfair in the House. And I think that's a legitimate argument that the Republicans can shoot back well, e- easily. It's a political. It's it's a political remedy. It's supposed to be partisan. That that's that's part true, of true. The, the reality of the process. There's nothing unexpected about that. Um, but I just don't think they. I don't think they thought this through very well because, again, they're so obsessed and fixated on basically their their hatred of this guy that they have they're not self-aware enough to even make shrewd political calculations. They they just full steam ahead. Oh, Russia's collapsed. Okay, let's find the the Ukraine thing. That'll that's what will prop it up. And then we'll we'll handle the entire process exactly the same way that we handled the Brett Kavanaugh hearing. Right. Right. Also blew up in their face, enraged people who watched that kangaroo court with all of the insanity and Avenatti and all this. Right. And so they're like, oh, we're just going to double down. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. Um, I mean, the one thing that's got to give them extreme indigestion. And I know this is anecdotal, but have you seen the crowd? I just was reading an article the other day where when Trump, Trump, there was something like 100,000 people in line waiting to see him in New Jersey. Uh Uh Typically a Democratic stronghold. Okay, that's deep, that's deep blue New Jersey. Yeah. Now, again, you can't, that's an anecdotal, okay, you had a big crowd. But I I do feel like they they underestimated this the first go around, Mm -hmm. right? And I think if they continue for the next however many months, what do we have? Eight months till the next election. If they continue with more insanity relating to, all right, you know, Maxine's cranking out our next set of impeachment articles or whatever, or we're going to continue investigating, they could find themselves losing the house again. Well, I'd be fine with that. And we don't have this farce of impeachment every time somebody doesn't like something the president did. I, I am, I'm exhausted from the thought of it. And it's not because it's Trump. And, and uh, you know, I, I would be exa- you, you got one shot at Clinton. You didn't need to co- keep coming back. You never went after uh, Obama. Uh, fine. But you, you can't have constant impeachment just because I, I, I think, well, I almost wish they did it because I think it will destroy the Democratic Party if they keep doing this. Because people are going to go, you're a bunch of morons. What What is wrong with you people? Because I don't know how you can keep doing it and keep thinking the American public is going to support you wasting our time, wasting everybody's time. You must just adjourn Congress. If this is what you're going to do, just adjourn. Don't even have Congress in session because it's a complete farcical waste of time. And that's what I think is happening. I think the fact that they didn't vote yesterday, I don't understand that either because you get let them have the State of the Union and then tomorrow you vote whether or not to to remove him from office. Why? That's so stupid. Just let him vote yesterday. Be done with it. Then it's gone. I mean, do you have any rational reason why Mitch didn't just say, we're voting today. We're done. Let's go. 
Um, Mitch has a reason for everything. I'm sure. And I just don't know what it is. <laughs> I think, I think everyone, everyone in some ways, it's almost more turning the knife that we haven't even voted yet, but Donald Trump's going to stand up and gloat uh, about the fact that everyone knows he's not being removed from office. So I, I don't know. Um, I, apparently Mitch thought that, yeah, that's fine. We'll do, we'll drag it out for three days and then we'll have the final vote. Um, again, th- there's nothing haphazard about how he's decided to let this play out. So uh, Trump gets to act as if he's been acquitted because he's going to be. That's inevitable. Um, and then they're going to have to then sit there and watch him. And apparently, what, there, there's people that are saying they're not going to show up, they're going to wear protest stuff or whatever on the Democratic side. Again, those optics play right into Donald Trump's hands. Sure. Well, Fantastic. Yeah, keep doing that. Just keep, keep... Have your tantrum. No, knock yourself out. If you think that's going to help you, knock yourself out. All right, we talked that to death. I'm not watching the State of the Union. I, I, I know you're not because you're, you're talking to me. Uh, I never watched them. Well, and, and I, I, people have been texting me while this is we're going on, and it's basically, what's wrong with Nancy? Well, we know a lot what's wrong with Nancy, everything. <laughs> Everything's wrong with Nancy. So don't watch it because she looks like she's checking her email, uh, not paying attention and clapping at the wrong times. Like she either doesn't know what's going on or she's purposely trying to be rude. So keep that, move on from that. Uh, right. I wanted to talk to you about the Super Bowl. I know we don't always talk about sports, but it was a Super Bowl. Did you watch it? What'd you think? I did. I actually watched pretty much the whole game. Um, I said I expected the Chiefs to win, but I also think that in watching the game, um, if you were going to ask me, well, did the Chiefs win it or the Niners blow it? I think the Niners blew it. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is kind of the ultimate weapon. Mm-hmm. So, and that, and that ultimately, I think what I said at the beginning was, at the end of the day, the most important position on the field is quarterback. Sure. One team is Patrick Mahomes, and one team has Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Jimmy G is a bad quarterback, but there's a huge a chasm of difference between those two guys. And when it came down to plays having to be made, Patrick Mahomes was able to make them, even though he didn't have a great overall game. Right. Uh, the 49ers defense basically you know, kept them under wraps as much as anyone could for three and a half quarters, and then the wheels came off. Uh, but you know, I, I'm I'm happy for Andy Reid. Andy Reid's a great guy by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is something that he's deserved. He's been a coach. You know, he's been one of the best coaches in the league for over two decades. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have a rooting interest in the game. But my take was the 49ers kind of let that one slip. They they had it, and had they made a few plays down the stretch, I mean, I think their win probability when there was maybe seven minutes to go and they were leading 20 to 10 and they had the ball was over 90%. So they had to, they had to kind of collapse there at the end to allow that to happen. Well, I I think if you uh, look across that sideline to uh, Kyle Shanahan, you might remember a few years ago when the uh, Falcons, when he was the offense coordinator collapsed against the Patriots. So maybe there's something to be said for his inability to, coaching the big game. Now that could have been directed to Danny Reed for many years. Uh, and I was happy for Andy Reed. Durant. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the key plays in the game, I mean, people are, of course, because hindsight is, Oh, you should have done this. You know, the people that I've heard that are piling on Shanahan have said, well, you guys had two consecutive drives in the fourth quarter where you could have closed out the game, right? If you made mm-hmm. a couple of first downs, fled the clock, you're going to win. And they said, you know, for instance, on the drive when the game had become 20 to 17. So that's when the, the play that turned the game, of course, was the 44 yard completion yeah. to Tyree Kill on third and 15. Yeah. The Chiefs were trailing by 10, third and 15 at midfield. If, if they don't make that play, I think the game is probably over. Sure. Um, but he, you know, somehow their defense after the entire game of preventing over-the-top plays, leaves Tyreek Hill. I mean, he was wide open by 10 or 15 yards. He literally had to stand and wait for the ball (laughs) to get to him. And so so they score. It's 20 to 17, and people have said, well, the next series, Shanahan should have just run the ball, right? That's what you do. On first down, they ran for five yards. It was second and five. Well, if you actually look at what they did, they had a perfect play called up on play action, and they had Kittle who is mm-hmm. their best offensive player mm-hmm. matched up against Suggs. Okay. Defensive lineman. That is a perfect matchup. He was open. And what happened? 
the ball got batted at the line. Now, right. I mean, is that the coach's fault? No, I mean, no. You no, threw up not a the coach's perfect fault. play. No, I, I agree. I, and the other big play, the other big play that they blew, which, again, this goes back to the quarterback. They had uh, Sanders wide open. This is when they were behind. They, they had fallen behind, and on third down, he's got him wide open. He's beaten the safety by at least two or three yards, and Garoppolo threw it, what, five yards over his head for, for a touchdown. I mean, if they complete that, it's a touchdown. They take the lead with under you know a minute and a half to go. That's a throw that you've got to make. You can't airmail a guy that's that wide open on a key play by five yards. You just can't. Well, I, I think that's the I'm – not, I'm not saying this is the same game – that he, he was the coordinator for Atlanta. I, I just think there's, he just seemed out of sorts when things started to unravel. You could see him stomping up the sideline and he's just, he just emotionally, he just looked like he, he didn't know what to do. Whereas Andy Reed, surprisingly, Andy Reed was better at clock management than he always is. He looked calm the whole time. He didn't look ruffled. Now, other games I've seen him in the NFC championship and AFC championship. He looked ruffled last year against the Patriots. He looked like he didn't know what to do. This year, he just, in the Super Bowl, he just looked like he knew what to do. And you knew this team had come down, come back from was it twenty four nothing against the Texans to, yep. to win fifty one thirty one. It it was you never thought you were out of it. Not again. That's Mahomes because yes, you can bottle him up, and if you keep if they keep the score close enough, he can make up for that with his athletic ability. And he was by far more more talented than Garoppolo. And that's not any fault on Garoppolo's part. He, he's a very talented quarterback, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. And I think there's a reason why Patrick Mahomes can do those things and, and see those plays. And, and he's, he's a very unique – I don't want to say he's Randall Cunningham because I think he's a much better passer than Randall was early in his career. And I think he's, he's got the flexibility to move, but he can stand in the pocket and deliver, whereas I think Randall and Michael Vick wanted to run first and throw second. And I think that always ends up harming you in the long run. Now, Mahomes may not be big enough to last, you know, 15 years in the league, but he may be if he can develop his passing game. I, I was I was excited to see the comeback. I will honestly say it, was, it wasn't it was the most exciting game until the fourth quarter to me. No. It was okay. No, I agree with you. It's weird because I said the same, I said the same thing, that for a close game, it didn't have any juice. No. Like, it just didn't really seem like... First of all, I think it's because, for the most part, um, the, the the Niners did a really good job. There weren't really that many spectacular plays. Right. Right? I mean, the, the 49ers don't really play that way unless, you know, Kittle gets out and rumbles over seven guys, like, whole team <laughs> tries to drag him down. Sure. But during most of the game, they, they kept Mahomes mm -hmm. at a very kind of pedestrian performance. But to your point, Mahomes can make throws that literally nobody else in the league can make. And a perfect example, on that third and 15 play, he knew because the, the Niners had been getting constant pressure with their front four, including Bosa. Mm -hmm. He dropped back 14 yards. Mm -hmm. Okay, so <laughs> we're, now this is a third and 15 throw that you have to make. Yep. And so the air, the air yardage on that pass, he threw the ball 57 yards. Yeah, down the field. That's amazing. There's nobody else in football, save for maybe Aaron Rodgers, right? There's maybe a few guys. Maybe. But you don't have other quarterbacks who are going to be able to, oh, all I need to do to give myself time is I'll literally drop back 15 yards and I can still throw the ball 50 yards down the field for a completion. Those are throws that other people don't even consider attempting. And right. for him, it's, well, that's of course what I'll do. If I have to run back 20 yards, Mm -hmm. So then I can throw it 60 yards. That's what I'll do as well. There's nobody else that has that skill set. And he killed them with his feet. He made he yeah. a number of really huge runs on third down. So he's strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not like, you know, he's not Randall Cunningham, right? He's not Michael Vick. He's not right. Lamar Jackson. But he's mobile enough. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you collapse the pocket, but you don't account for him, there he goes for 15 yards, breaking your back on third and long. What well, I think uh, he's amazing. I think Troy Aikman was diagnosing some of that. He said, "You know, you, you you didn't have outside contain, so you collapsed the pocket. He just rolled out around you, and he's faster than any of the the defensive ends or linemen or linebackers coming after him. So he can he can zip around if if he's got enough room. So you you really have to keep a a safety or an outside linebacker 
on both sides just in case, depending on which way you collapse it, to make sure you contain him if you can. Now, he almost killed him with his two interceptions as well. And one of those was, I don't know if it floated on him or he just really didn't know where he was throwing it because he was rolling around in the backfield and I, he kind of tossed it up. And I, I think he still some, got some of that in him that the, the 49ers had a chance to pick off some other balls because he was throwing across his body. You know, we, we, you, don't, you don't advise that. Sometimes you can get away with it, but it really isn't something you should do on a regular basis. And I think he's still got some of that well, growing to really do. Well, the really scary thing, yeah, but that's the thing. The guy's 24 years old. The scary thing for the rest of the league is mm-hmm. they played against a team in the Super Bowl that if you had to design them in a lab, what <laughs> team can beat the Chiefs? That it would be, be the Niners in yeah. terms of their personnel, uh-huh. in terms of how they play. And for three and a half quarters, they made Patrick Mahomes look very mortal. Sure. And the Niners still pulled away and won that game by 11 points. Yeah. So, I mean, the rest of the league's got to be saying to themselves, that was not even a vintage Patrick Mahomes performance by any stretch. And give, give credit to the Niners' D. They played very well, sure. and they still lost. And I, and I think that is the, I don't know. the rub. I I I was happy to again. I was happy the Kansas City Chiefs won. I I like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it's not my team, and, and you know Andy Reid's never been my coach, but I like Andy Reid. And it was uh, there was 366 games, including the Super Bowl, before he won a championship. So I think he was due, and I think he he he's done a good job in this league, and I think he he represents the league very well. Uh, I, I wasn't I, there well, wasn't a the- lot of juice going into the week for me either. I, I, this wasn't a matchup that I really like. Wow, I really want to see this matchup. It was a Super Bowl, but I didn't, I didn't care so much about the matchup. There, both teams were pretty dull. I mean, other than Kelsey, everybody else is just dull as well, far as that goes. <laughs> I, I will say this: that the interesting question is going to be when Patrick Mahomes is up for his one million billion trillion dollar <laughs> payday, which well, they, is coming, I think in another year yeah um the 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 thing in the nfl is the cap yeah right so the 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 benefit to having a transcendent quarterback on a rookie contract which is what mahomes is on so he's you know he's being paid nothing compared to his value yet right can they keep the talent around him when they have to start paying him and i I suspect i suspect his contract is going to be about 40 million dollars a year Okay. So that's, it becomes the economics of the cap for these teams. If you now have to pay your, your best player, who's arguably the best player in the league, mm-hmm. at that amount, what else can you keep around him? Because you still got to pay Tyree Hill, and right. you still got to pay Travis Kelsey and mm-hmm. all these other guys. Can you keep that contingent together when Mahomes is gone from whatever he's making now, I don't know, what is it, five, seven million, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, to 40 million a year with the cap? That's what that's well, that is the the game now. You you got to build the team and say we need a hometown discount. You know, is this is this the quarterback? They're not getting they're not getting a hometown discount for the guy that was the league MVP in the second season and now has won a Super Bowl. There's not going to be a hometown discount. Well, in in sense, is there is there some other creative way to bring value to his portfolio? You know, is there something? And, and I've talked about this before. Is there percent of ownership of the chiefs you know is that is that even of even an option in the collective bargaining agreement is that i don't even know if that's permitted under the collective bargaining agreement i don't think you would be able to do that uh because that would be essentially circumventing the cap well and 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 that's what you i think you have to get extremely creative and you're right if if they got to pay him for now you bring up the 40 million is dak prescott 40 million (laughs) if mahomes is 40 million then dak prescott can't be 40 well, he he can't be Dak Prescott is not as accomplished as Mahomes. So if Mahomes is forty million, oh, no. Dak Prescott has to be less because he hasn't accomplished the same amount in the in more well, time. Well, but actually, the irony is it's not the irony. The, the timing of this is going to be Dak is going to get signed first. Sure. So what's really to. going to happen is if Dak signs for thirty three or thirty five, which mm-hmm. is probably what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, now to your point. Patrick Mahomes' agent is saying, "Sure, Dak Prescott? Are you serious? I mean, yeah. so my guy, who's already won a Super Bowl at 24, mm-hmm. who would have gone to the Super Bowl two years in a row, except that the Patriots never gave him the ball back. Yeah. Um, 
Um, if Dak's a $35 million man, which they'll be cheering, right? They'll be having a sure. party. Sure. They want Dak to get paid as much as possible. Sure. Maybe maybe my guy's worth $45 million. Who knows? Well, that's a possibility. But I, I, I think if if Dak's people are, value, are evaluating Mahomes, they're trying to say, well, we're almost as good as Mahomes. But you're not. I mean, you haven't no, even. No, they're not. They're not even close. They're, no. they're mean, not on crack. No. Nobody's well, going to make that argument. But that's what I'm saying. What, at what point does the number, and this is a little bit about our old argument, but what, what point at the number do you say, we can't afford anything more than this to still put a team around you to compete? So does somebody say, stop the madness, Susan Powder, and say, we need to do this. This is the number, you know, do, do we do the Brady thing and saying, I know I'm going to get endorsements that are going to, because I'm successful and my team's winning, so that I'll take this number so we can keep people around me to survive uh, to continue to play us. Because Wait, the Brady thing is the Brady thing is my wife makes a hundred million dollars. Sure. But he also gets Brady. endorsements. He gets a lot of endorsements because he's won six championships. You know, if if Mahomes says, Okay, yeah, his wife is worth I know his wife is worth two hundred million dollars. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to have that. I, I understand that. I'm just giving you an example is because yeah, maybe that's part of the calculus for Brady, and maybe it's also I want to win, and I know if I suck up fifty mil a year, we're not going to yeah. have a team to win. I mean, d- d- is it no, about the money that's, or is that the championships? Well, but again, that's that's the tension, and I can tell you this: the madness is not going to stop with Pat Mahomes. Meaning, right? If there's any guy who is not going to be used as the guy to stop the madness, <laughs> it's it's not going to be him. Okay. Okay, because he's he is unquestionably, in my view, the best player in the league I by a fairly significant margin right now. Right. So if Dak gets his payday, the Chiefs aren't coming to him to say, "Hey, you know what? Let's stop the madness, Patrick." Um, <laughs> it's going to be no, no. We're going to pay you forty million a year, and then we'll see. You know, we'll see how we can keep this team together. But that's going to be the challenge. Well, and. and- that may be what happens. I, I just want somebody to say, I want to win. I want to get paid to a point, but I want to win. At what point is it enough? And that's not something we're going to solve tonight, but at what point do I have enough no, I've, to I've, keep winning? That was my argument. That was the yeah. argument that I've made, which was I don't begrudge any of these guys. Um, the market is going to pay them what it's going to pay them, even if it turns out that essentially a, a league average quarterback Demands twenty million dollars a year, or fifteen million, or whatever it is. Yeah. But again, I, I do agree with you that you would eventually like to see somebody say, "You know what? I think I can scrape by on the thirty million, <laughs> and let's save ten million against the cap, yeah. and make sure that I've still got weapons at wide receiver, and I've got all pros that are blocking for me." Right. But again, who who's going to be the guy that's going to do that? Brady has been able to do it only because of his very unusual situation. Okay. And he specifically said that. I mean, yeah. he has said, yeah. I'm fortunate. My wife makes a ton of money. Yeah. I don't I don't need the extra $10 million. And to his credit, he knows he's among the greatest of all time. He doesn't need the ego stroking of saying, I'm the best, I'm the highest paid guy in the league. Because what he can go back and stare at are his six Super Bowl rings. Right. And I heard somebody on Sunday night saying, oh, is Patrick Mahomes going to take the place of Brady. I'm like, well, he's five championships away from tying Brady. So slow your roll a little bit. I mean, he's a very talented quarterback, but yeah. if he never wins again, is he better than Brady? I doubt it. I mean, you can say he's very talented, but you didn't win. No. So uh, you're not going to win if you haven't. And, and here's the, the historical problem for Andy Reid teams. Their defense usually suffers under Andy Reid. They're not awesome on defense. This team did enough. They were better defensively this year than they were last year. So that, Credit to Steve Spagnola, but that's not typically an Andy Reid team. They're they're they got offense and they struggle to piece it together in defense because they spend so much on offense because he's an offensive guy. So uh, you you don't want to you don't want to rob that side of the ball when it's already fragile to begin with. And I think that's they're not a real balanced team. But is I think in this current era, I don't know that there is a balanced team that really has really really good on both sides of the ball. There's Obviously, one it's usually quite a bit better. Well, the, I mean, the Niners were probably the closest closest thing to it. Yeah, but um, Garoppolo throwing fourteen passes in the very, playoffs. Garoppolo threw fourteen passes in the playoffs prior to the Super Bowl. 
That's not balanced. Well, but that's just, that's just a, that's a means to an end. Oh, you're focusing on the passing side of the offense. The well, point was yeah. that they were utterly dominant. They were utterly dominant running the ball. Yeah. So you know, however they're getting it done, if you look at those metrics, they were near the top of the league on you know DVOA uh, on both offense and defense. They're the closest thing. But what what it, at the end of the day, what it demonstrated is when it came time to make crunch time plays. It matters which team has Pat Mahomes and mm-hmm. which team has a decent but not elite guy uh, that's that's under center. So, okay, well, you know, right now the Chiefs the Chiefs look like for the foreseeable future they're going to be the benchmark. Well, and, and they probably should be until somebody knocks them off that benchmark. And, and, and I'm not saying I think Garoppolo was playing a Trent Dilfer esque role with the 2000 Ravens, but I'm not, I'm not equating the, the Niners defense to the 2000 Ravens defense, but I think he had a similar role, which was manage the game. Don't lose the game. And when it came crunch time and he had to produce, it, it didn't, it didn't work that way. I mean, he just, I, I don't, I think he's good. And I think he's certainly proven over things that the Niners have had in the last couple of years and certainly Kaepernick, but I don't know that he's on the same level as, as we've said earlier. So we'll see what happens uh, next year. Uh, I got to believe the Chiefs are a favorite, uh, depending on where Brady ends up, if he ends up anywhere. Um, we'll have to see. Anything else you got for tonight, Tony? Yep, it'll be. No, I think I'm good. Hopefully, I don't know. This is going to sound like we were broadcasting in a Quonset hut. Uh, you were. I was on a professional uh, podcasting rig, but you were in a Quonset hut. <laughs> and if you don't know what a Quonset yeah. hut is, so go, go look it up. To- I will leave it to you to do your post-production magic. Uh, yeah, um, such as and it plus, is. I won't know what it sounds like because I don't. I don't listen to it anyway. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.